Dear sisters and brothers in Christ, may the Lord give you his peace. Amen. Amen. I could hear you all the way from wherever you are. Some celebrations in the church are actually so big that you can't contain it in a single day. So, for example, we celebrated Easter last Sunday, Saturday evening and Sunday for the vigil, with the vigil and the Sunday morning mass. And then today we have what's called the octave of Easter, which means that every day in the intervening week, we've celebrated Easter. So it had a celebration for eight complete days. So last week, we literally celebrated the feast or the fact of the resurrection. This week, we actually celebrate what you might call the fruit of the resurrection, which is mercy. And so quite fittingly, St. John Paul called the second Sunday of Easter, which is today, Divine Mercy Sunday. So I encourage you to participate in our three o'clock holy hour and in our other activities for 7 p.m. tonight through Zoom and through the video that Laurie has kindly arranged for us and for our participation. Now, you might have heard of an author by the name of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. He is the author of great novels such as Sherlock Holmes, many short stories and novels in the theme of Sherlock Holmes. Well, one of his quotations is that once you have eliminated the impossible, what remains must be true no matter how improbable. So, today, this week, we celebrate, in fact, two improbabilities. The first I've kind of alluded to already, the resurrection. It's an improbability. It's not an impossibility. God created out of nothing, so he took something that was created, the body of Christ, and res resurrected it. He gave it back its life in a transformed way. We talked about that a little bit last week. But this week, we also celebrate another improbability, which is the founding of our Catholic Church upon the apostles. The apostles. Could you ever figure out a sloppier group of guys to start a church with? I mean, Jesus is being crucified, and they abandoned him, right? And we see three different modalities of the apostolic life and the early life of the church, which ultimately blossomed into the life of the church that we have today, presented for us in the readings, actually, if you stop and think about it. So the most prominent one that stands out in our mind is that incident in the gospel. In the gospel, we see that Jesus appears to the 11, or we should say the 10, because number 11, Thomas, wasn't there. And by the way, I think Thomas gets a bum rap, which I'll talk about in a little bit. And Jesus manifests himself to them, and he is resurrected. He manifests the power of his resurrection. So they're, of course, bewildered, confused, and amazed, and all these kind of human sentiments that might go into that moment of encountering a resurrected person. It never happened before. It was highly improbable, but it happened. And Jesus rose from the dead. So now he was dead, and he's alive, right? So that's a stark contrast to what we see in the first reading, which was from the Acts of the Apostles, which is the documentary evidence of the life of the early church, where they gathered in the home of one of the apostles, and they were of one heart and one mind dedicated to the word of God and to the breaking of the bread, to the teaching of the apostles. So this idealized version of the church that um, has existed for only a very short time historically. 
And then in the second reading, which was from the epistle of St. Peter, the first letter of St. Peter, we see that Peter is addressing a church that has grown beyond its pure apostolic roots. He's saying, you know, to them, blessed are you because you believe even though you have not seen the resurrected Christ. So we go to, from the apostles who are bewildered and in doubt and confused. In fact, we see in that gospel, Thomas wasn't there in that apparition of our risen Lord. And he says, unless I probe the wounds of Christ, his hand, put my finger in his wounds in his hands and in his feet and into his side, I will not believe. So we got from that, I will not believe, to blessed are you who believe, even though you did not see, based on the preaching and the power of the apostolic witness. So we see the birth of a church, highly improbable thing that came to be, but has existed for now about 2,000 years or so of Christian history, based on this disheveled group of men that we called apostles, who started off as a rather ragtag, scattered group of guys who were channeled by the power of the experience of the resurrected Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and then founded this nascent church, which now exists for 2,000 or so years, which we are the beneficiaries of. Highly improbable, though. But let me come back to the experience of Thomas. And as I said, I believe Thomas gets quite a bum rap. Now, I have a vested interest in this because my middle name is Thomas. So my first name is obviously Christopher, called to be a bearer of Christ. I don't know why my mother chose that name. I never actually asked her, but it's a beautiful name, Christopher. I never liked it when I was a kid because nobody else had the name. But what a great name, to be a bearer of Christ. And yet, Thomas is known to be, well, they say he was a twin, but he's not really known to be the twin. He's known to be the doubter, right? The doubter because, you know, he doubted the resurrected Christ. So while I'm the bearer of Christ, I struggle with doubts, you know, or I have at least at one time in my life. And who hasn't, right? So we're all called as Christians to be bearers of Christ through baptism. Just like that early ragtag group of apostles were a ragtag. They struggled and they were supposed to bear Christ. But it wasn't until God's grace took over in their lives that they overcame their doubts and their difficulties to become effective apostles and witnesses to Christ. But why do I say that Thomas gets a bum rap? Because he gets singled out in today's gospel, kind of unfairly so, but I guess it's to make a point, right? But if we look at Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 15, which was actually the gospel for yesterday's Mass, the Saturday Mass, not the, not the vigil for Sunday, but the actual Saturday day Mass, it was that gospel, Mark chapter 16, verses 9 to 15. And we see that Mark identifies the fact that Jesus appeared to the 11. I don't know if Thomas was there, presumably not at that point, so actually the 10. But he calls them out because they didn't believe at the preaching of Mary Magdalene, who came and had an encounter before the apostles did with the risen Christ. They didn't believe Mary Magdalene. They were just like Thomas. They didn't believe, right? And then they didn't believe the two disciples from the road to Emmaus, right? They didn't believe that either. So they had two encounters with people who saw the risen Lord, but yet they did not believe. They're just like Thomas in their own way. So Thomas clearly gets a bum rap. But here's really why he gets the bum rap. Because none of those other ten 
when they encountered the risen Lord, did they get down on their knees and say, my Lord and my God? Right? But Thomas, once he encountered the risen Lord, put his hand into the wounds, into the side, into the feet, into the hands, he got down on his knees and said, my Lord and my God. He got it. Jesus Christ is Lord. Right? Now, I don't know if they were struggling with doubt so much, but Cardinal Newman, John Cardinal Henry Newman, had a saying. He says, a thousand difficulties don't equate to one single doubt. What is a doubt? A doubt is an absolute repudiation of the faith, of an article of the faith or the faith in its whole. Right? We say, I just do not believe. Right? And there are people in our world who do not believe. Right? I had a professor when I was in college, Frank Virgis, Dr. Virgis. He said, I would believe in the resurrection if I could figure it out metaphysically, meaning he could figure out how it actually happened in its mystery. Well, as I said, it may be highly improbable, but it certainly was not impossible for God, and we can't understand everything. But we can understand that the fruit of that resurrection was that a church was founded by guys and men who were scattered, this ragtag group of guys, and the fruit of it was that the church was founded because they came to believe that he was risen from the dead. And in his mercy, he shows himself to them and helps them to overcome these doubts. So whether or not they had doubts or difficulties, I do not know. But whatever it was, we know that the power of the resurrection was such that they could encounter new life, new birth, as we said in that first prayer in the beginning of the Mass, through the mercy of God, right? And so anyone who struggles with doubts or difficulties can overcome them. A difficulty is a little different than a doubt. Doubt, as I said, is a total repudiation. It just is not true. I do not believe. A difficulty, which I think is more characteristic of most of us much of the time, is we inquire, how can this be? How can God be present in a piece of bread that we call the Eucharist? How could a piece of bread become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ? How could God raise Jesus or himself from the dead. We struggle with these things. But that's not doubt. That's not anything bad at all. In fact, St. Anselm says that faith seeks understanding. So we have natural difficulties as we try and grow in our faith. And as we pray through and meditate on the truths of our faith, we actually grow in a deeper understanding. We may not be able to articulate what we understand, but somehow the heart grasps the truth that goes beyond what is in the head. And we call that faith. And it's a function of God's grace in our lives, a function of his mercy. So the real problem is not only just that there are people who have difficulties and doubts. We all have difficulties at one time or another, as I said. Hopefully we've overcome our doubts. Uh, maybe we know people who are in doubt. So we should pray for them in a profound way on this Divine Mercy Sunday. But the real problem is not doubt or difficulty at all. It's indifference indifference. It means I do not care. Whatever. Like the sixth grade girl might say. Right? Whatever, whatever. Jesus rose from the dead. He founded a church. Whatever. I don't care. It's good for you. It's whatever. But I don't even take the effort to doubt or to overcome a difficulty. I just live comfortably numb, so to speak. And I think that is the plight of our present day age. What maybe God is trying to speak to us through this coronavirus crisis is not to 
cause us to doubt, not to give us difficulties. Certainly we can struggle through those, even through this crisis. And by the way, I ask you to pray for the repose of the soul of Father Al Hewitt, who died last evening of coronavirus, uh, COVID-19. He had been struggling for a couple of weeks with, uh, with different health ailments. He finally did contract the disease and now succumbed to it. Very noble priest, very elderly priest. He was 90 years old or in his 90s. I don't know exactly how old. But, you know, uh, you know, but we could struggle with difficulties and doubts. But maybe the Lord is trying to snap us out of indifference as a society to say, wake up, wake up. There's something more than this immediate life. There's something more than all these things that we find so entertaining, the sports and the things that have been taken from us, the beach, the park, the festivities that we have with many people. Not that much of this is bad, but it becomes bad when it becomes a veneer that winds us, makes us indifferent to the reality of God. That's when it becomes bad. And so we've sort of been forced in many ways to scale back, to simplify, to refocus, and to hopefully repent and to receive the mercy of God in a new way this Divine Mercy Sunday. To receive the graces of the Divine Mercy in its fullest flowering, which of course you pray the novena, which carries with it a, a plenary indulgence, and you go to confession when you can, because right now, obviously, it's very difficult to get the confession. We do take them by appointment. You know, I had a couple the other day. Um, but you go when you can, proximate, as soon as, as reasonably possible, and you say the prayers for the Pope, the Creed, the Chapel of the Divine Mercy, and the prayers of the Novena. And you can pray that plenary indulgence for yourself, of course, but we may not even be ready to be disposed for it yet, but we can offer for some soul, maybe a Father Al Hewitt, maybe another soul who's dying, who is ready to receive it, and entrust that to our Lord and to Our Lady, so that in the moment of our final death and, and final need, someone will be praying for us that we will be able to receive that plenary indulgence and receive the ultimate act of divine mercy, which is not just the forgiveness of our sins, but the admission into the beatific vision and eternal life. May the Lord Jesus Christ be praised now and forever. Amen.